0: We're in Acts chapter 2 this morning, To uh, Acts chapter 2 there's some notes with the outline on it to fill in if you want on the back table there and uh, Bibles if you, you need. But Acts chapter 2, we began it last week as we began looking at the day of Pentecost and what that is, what happened and what went on. You know, when we we saw, we noted last week as we began going through chapter 2 here, and we're going to make our way mostly through the rest of it today, that this is what Acts and what Luke has been moving us toward uh, from the very beginning of this. Jesus has promised the power uh, to come and and told them to wait for the power of the Spirit that would come. And then we saw in Acts chapter 2 that indeed God did send the Spirit and send power. And we saw it with such amazing fulfillment to this uh, this promise. The Spirit comes to earth on this day, uh, this day of Pentecost, to abide with his people forever. And so a miracle comes through, and and God does this amazing thing through his, his people to announce the arrival of the Spirit, so that there is no doubt The presence of God is on earth. God has come. He had made a promise the Spirit would come, and now there is no doubt that that has happened because we have seen it happen. The disciples were able to speak in uh, languages and they were able to do it with with fluency and uh, clarity so that everyone could understand what was being said. And what they heard being said was the wonderful works of God of God and so this whole movement this whole miracle had at its heart the purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around the world and that's exactly what happened that day as we come to the end of what we started last week verse 13 as the people are hearing and all this and and they're they're wondering what happened and what is this that's going on there's some who come along mocking saying others mocking said they are full of new wine they think they've been been drinking and we'll see uh, just a tad of this a moment ago but uh, I don't know about you but I've never seen anybody who has been drinking where their communication becomes better not worse uh, so this is all just it's it's in jest it's, it's there's got to be some reason for this Peter will answer that briefly here in in just a moment but like most miracles In the Bible, even when we see Jesus do the miracles and the miracles that will follow through the book of of Acts, like most miracles, the purpose of that miracle isn't always immediately obvious. What is it for? Why is it there? What happened? And so there is a a pattern that runs through Acts, which we'll begin to see, um, which is why we see in verse 12 and other places people asking, What does this mean? What is this about? Why are they doing this? Why are we hearing this. And so the remainder of Acts chapter 2, so the bulk of what we're going to look at today, which is Peter's sermon, is the answer to the question of verse 12. So in verse 12, the people are perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And so the remainder, what we're going to look at this morning, is the answer to that question. What does this mean? So we understanding. The promise that God had made and so it goes through the normal pattern that we see throughout the New Testament particularly in regards to miracles that there is a miracle and then there is an explanation of that miracle and Peter's going to give us that so the miracle did what it was supposed to do the miracle did what it was supposed to do in that it gathered a crowd so people heard it uh, they, they perhaps heard the sound of the wind that, that came along and, and uh, they heard the, the disciples speaking in all these languages and, and the hubbub moved around and a crowd built. And there is a very large crowd there, probably in the outer court of the temple. Um, we're at about nine o'clock in the morning here, and, which was a normal time to go for morning prayers and, and worship. So we're looking here probably at the outer court of the temple where this happens. And Peter gives us a sermon. So today I'm giving you a sermon on a sermon. And uh, Peter uh, has, you know, he's like every preacher. He's got three points and he has three very well outlined points here. And what we also know about this is, you know, he explains it. He calls us to respond, but we know it wasn't short. Sure. Um, we have a significant part of it. Well, at least some of it recorded here in Acts chapter two. But Luke also reminds us here in verse four And with many other words. So we have here, so Peter gave us a sermon and he preached like every preacher, probably too long. Uh, That's not, not true. But we have the recording here of what Luke has that we need to know that will help us understand what's going on. Now we're going to follow Peter's outline basically. And Peter's outline is built around three Old Testament passages. So you remember when we looked in Acts chapter one, it seems clear that Peter has been diligent in his study since Jesus rose and ascended. Uh, It was Peter who we saw working through the idea of Matthias and and Judas. And here again, this sermon is built around three prophecies. The first one from Joel chapter two, and we'll see that here in a moment. The second from Psalm 16. And then finally, from Psalm 110, and he takes these three passages and he uses those to teach us about what has happened on this day and what it is about. And so that's what we're, we're essentially going to follow. We're going to look at how he divides it up in these three areas. So let's begin here in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should have been held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that are the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucify both Lord and Christ. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we take some time to hear the words of Peter, as he speaks from your leading and your inspiration, Teach us and encourage us. Help us to understand your ways and what you do even now today. We pray that hearts and lives may be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as a quick pattern through what goes through here. So Peter basically takes us in a circle. So they've seen the miracle of what's happened Uh, of how the spirits come they're speaking in tongues and so uh, and and languages and they are hearing in their own words so he starts at the beginning and he says here is what you see and this is what you see it is the coming of the holy spirit why is the holy spirit come the holy spirit has come to teach us about jesus and jesus is giving us the power of the holy spirit so we start with what's happening the Holy Spirit, he tells us why the Spirit has come, to tell us about Jesus, and that Jesus has sent us the Spirit so that we can tell about Jesus and do his work. So we're going to start and we're just going to work our way through these three thoughts this morning and glean a, a little bit about it. We probably could spend a week on each one, but we'll just see the whole thing in its context. The first point I've got is, is simply this. It is that this is that. Because that's what Peter says here. He says, this that you see is that which was promised. And so that's how he begins. So you are seeing what is promised. Uh, and so Peter gives us here a very powerful sermon. It is powerful. we're going to see some of the, the great results that, that come from this in the next uh, parts of, of Acts chapter 2 and into Acts chapter 3. But Peter is often known for his bumbling words and often saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. But here clearly he has he has been working and the, the Spirit has gifted Peter to be able to understand and to speak with, with might and power. I mean we, we saw, as I mentioned before in Acts chapter one, how he studied and he, he began to understand the need to replace Judas and how that was part of God's prophecy and God's continuing program. So it's it's clear that Peter has been contemplating Scripture. He has been spending time, thinking through it, and 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 trying to understand what is going on. Now, as it begins here in verse fourteen, it says, "But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them." That word "said" is an interesting one. It doesn't give us much in in English, but it carries this, and it's usually used to this. You know, even outside of. Christian literature, and that is that it means something like spirit inspired, spirit led. So what he said was not what he was making up, this is what he has been led by the Spirit, what he's been inspired by the Spirit to say here. So this is why this is so powerful. It's no ordinary speech. This is the work of God through Peter. He is led by the Spirit to proclaim. The truth of God, so that we can understand and see. And it's it's magnificent to see that He's he's using the same method we still use today, and that is that the Spirit opens our eyes to understand the Word of God and then to explain the Word of God. And that's exactly what He's doing. He takes the Scriptures and says, "Here's the prophecies. Here's what it says. Here's what it means." So it becomes clear to Peter that the people need to understand what's happening. They're confused. And so the Spirit enables Peter to help us understand it and to explain it. And as he says to the people at the end of verse 14, that they are to heed his words, so it behooves us to heed his words. He starts with a simple uh, refutation. And maybe it's all in jest, and perhaps that's the way it is, but where he says there in, in verse 15, "'For these are not drunk, as you suppose,' since it's only the third hour of the day. Essentially, what he's saying is that they are filled with the Spirit. They're not drunk. And that's where he's going to be going through this. Um, Perhaps it's joking as they're mocking, trying to figure out what's what's going on. And Peter essentially says, come on, guys, it's only nine in the morning. We're not drunk. Now, in their society, that, that means a lot more than it does in our society. I mean, it's not uncommon for us to see people who've been drinking or whatever very early in the morning here. But, but for the Jewish society then, that was unheard of. Nobody drank. They, they haven't even had breakfast by that point in their society. So when he says, come on, guys, it's only 9 o'clock, they go, well, yeah, of course, that would be very, very weird. Um, so for them, that's a, that's a fairly solid argument to them that it, it just can't happen. So basically, what Peter is saying is the same thing that Paul tells us in Ephesians. In Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Same sort of thing. It's, it's not the spirits that you see, but the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to follow the commands of God, to listen to his word, to submit to the leading and the the guidance of God to obey what he says. It is very literally to be carried along by the spirit as we follow his instruction and his guidance. What they were seeing wasn't uncontrolled behavior, but rather it was spirit-controlled witnessing. The question is, why? Why? What's really happening? Why is this taking place? And what does it mean? And that's where Peter is going to take us. And so he, in this powerful sermon of his, we see that prophecy is being fulfilled. Prophecy is being fulfilled. And this is where he takes us back to the prophet Joel by reminding us or telling us, just as God had promised, God's spirit has come. God's spirit has come and it shall come to pass, it says in verse 17, in the last days, says God. Now that's an important little phrase there, says God. So he is attributing the words of Joel to God. It shall come to pass in those days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. So Peter is connecting what they see with these Old Testament prophecies. Saying, here's what God promised, here is what we're seeing. Do they match? Is this what is happening? He says, yes, we are seeing prophecies of the last days fulfilled. Now remember, and we talked about this when we went through Luke and Jesus was telling us about the last days, you know, through Luke chapter 21. And and so when he, he told us about the last days that when the Bible speaks of the last days, it isn't just the very end. It includes that, which is why when we get down to verse 20, it talks about the awesome day of the Lord, the great and final thing. But the last days does not mean the very end. In fact, Jesus showed us, and, and the rest of the Bible shows us, that we are in the last days now. So the last days cover everything from the first coming of Jesus, so when he was born, lived on this earth, Died and resurrected, so it covers everything from there to his second coming when he comes back. So that whole period is the last days. Why is it the last days? Because it's the last step before the end. So we are in and we are living in the last days. John said it this way in First John chapter two: "Little children, it is the last hour." Peter would remind us again in his epistle in First Peter chapter one. He, that is Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. We are living in the last days. And so when it says here, then the last days, there is much that is going to happen which includes now. Now the expectation of the Jewish people, in terms of the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom, was that with the coming of the kingdom would also come the Spirit. That God's spirit would come on all people. And of course it comes from places like Joel, which uh, uh, Peter is using here. So they expected that. So Peter is taking this Old Testament prophecy and he is taking their expectation that the spirit would come for God's kingdom and he's connecting it to Jesus. Saying, Jesus came, now the spirit's here. So let's connect all of this and see that it is connected to Jesus. Jesus is the reason this is being fulfilled. And this is what you are seeing now. God promised the Spirit would come. You are seeing the Spirit now. This is the promise. This is what God had promised. Now the promise is one of great extent. It has much to it and expands along a great deal of things you know at the beginning of this uh prophecy that that peter reminds us from joel it says that the spirit would come on all flesh it still has prophetic implications okay? because he says all flesh and he means all flesh right but that will come in the end okay? the all flesh part is still to come it's coming in a further sense but it also strengthens what Jesus has said before. So what has Jesus told us the reason the Holy Spirit is going to come when he said it back in the Gospels, when he said it at the beginning of Acts? He said the reason the Spirit is coming is to empower his people to get the Gospel to every nation. All people. So we're beginning to see this happen. Right? That is that the Spirit will be on all, but now we're seeing just The small beginning of it as the Spirit begins to come into the world and move throughout the world to all peoples and all nations. The power of the Spirit would come to enable the gospel to reach all nations. The ultimate kingdom fulfillment of this is beginning. We're seeing the beginning of what God intends. God is already being, or the gospel is already being proclaimed to those from all over the world. Says, you expect the spirit to come? Here he is. He is here. Why is he here? He's fulfilling the promise of the father and the son. He is here. This prophecy is being fulfilled and that God's spirit has come. But God's spirit has come to declare God's word. As he describes a little more from this prophecy of why the spirit comes and what the spirit is for, says that it will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Then down in 18 we have, and on my maidservants and on my uh, my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. What will... In fact, most of the work of the prophets of the Old Testament wasn't even telling the future. The word prophesy simply means to declare God's word. So, right now, as I stand and I read God's word and I declare it to you, that is prophetic. I am telling you God's word. And that's prophetic in the way the word is meant and used all through Scripture. Can it include telling the future? Well, yes, it can, because we've seen that through the prophets of old. As God tells them, they proclaim it. But the primary meaning of the word is to proclaim God's word. So here, when it says that we will prophesy, it does not automatically mean we're going to be telling the future or that people will be able to see what's ahead and predict and prophesy about what is ahead. We have already seen in this last year how... Uh, ridiculous that thought is in in America every every prophet or so-called prophet in America predicted a landslide win to Donald Trump none of them were right and now they're all in damage control oh well this that oh, okay it's not it's not what god says is going to happen here it means to proclaim god's word to declare his word. It will, at times, include, as he says, visions and dreams. But what does it mean? It means that we are to declare God's word. Why has the Holy Spirit come? He's simply re-emphasizing everything he's said about the Spirit already. The Spirit has come to proclaim the gospel to the world, to empower the people of God to speak God's word when we speak when we explain when we preach god's word we are prophesying that is we are declaring god's word this is the main work of the spirit that is the main work of the spirit that jesus told us was the main work of the spirit to declare the message of god through empowering people to speak the gospel but what we also know from the prophecy here is that it is that the spirit has come and the spirit has come to declare God's word. But what we also see is that it is just the beginning. It is just the beginning. You see, Peter reads this uh, and explains this uh, passage from Joel here for us. But it's, it's very clear. It's very clear that what happened on Pentecost isn't the complete fulfilment of this passage. There's no darkness of the sun. There's no moon turning to to red like like blood. There's no wonders and signs in, in heaven. So it's very clear to Peter and to the people listening that this is not all, this day is not all there is to the coming of the Spirit. It's just the beginning there is more to come. The Spirit has come. And he is beginning the work of the last days. He is beginning the work of God to bring the final moment. These signs are yet to come. Oh, yet short, sure, maybe for many of them, about the only one that may be fresh in their mind was from the day of the crucifixion when everything went dark. And so maybe that makes it more alive for them there because that's still, that was only 50 days ago that the sky went, went dark. And they think, well, here we go. It's the beginning. But there is more to come. The coming of the Holy Spirit is a major part of God finishing his work. And so he gives us a, a small reminder here which he will expand later. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on Jesus. This is the reason the Spirit comes. To bring us to call on Jesus. The call of this age. The call of this day is to believe Jesus. The message of the Holy Spirit is this. Jesus saves. How can he save? Well, that's what the rest of the sermon is about. So that brings us to the next part. The first part is Peter saying, This that you see is that which God prophesied. The Spirit has come. God is beginning his work of the last days. The second is, is now he says, Why is the Holy Spirit come? The Holy Spirit come because of Jesus. God raised Jesus up. Verse 22 begins that second section. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised Firstly, he reminds us, as everyone saw, that Jesus was killed. And he makes a particular point of this to the people there. Jesus was killed, but it was God's plan. This was no accident. This was God's plan. It's built around these words from verse 25 through verse 28 in Psalm 16. So all of this... Upheaval and and all of the the miraculous speaking and and the the wonders they they see and that will come. All of this, all of that prophecy, all of this work of the Spirit, and everything still comes back to Jesus. Remember, we said last week, as we looked at and we were reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter 16, the Spirit will come. And what will He speak of? He will speak of Jesus. Everything always comes back to jesus that's why the spirit is here jesus who just 50 days ago was put to death he's reminding them of what happened and, and why it happened now if he was god why didn't jesus avoid death was that not the comments and the 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 things they cast at jesus on the cross if you are really who you say you are why don't you come down off the cross Why didn't he avoid that if he was God? Because this was part of God's plan. Jesus had to die. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Why plan this? Why plan death? Why 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 death? Why why not another way? Romans five verse twelve says, Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Or Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death. There was no way to escape death. If we were going to deal with the result of this, if we were going to deal with the consequences of sin, there was no way to escape death. Jesus was killed because sin is killing us. He died to pay the debt of sin that condemns us to death. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did this in love. He went through this in love. 1 John chapter 4, and verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. God is a loving, saving God. This is the message of the Spirit. God is a loving, saving God. But while Peter reminds us that this was God's plan, he also reminds us that it happened by our hands. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Though God's plan, it doesn't change the fact that it was our sin that carried it out. God used our evil for his glorious good. The Romans and the Jews that crucified Jesus that day did so because they refused to believe him. They refused to believe who he was and what he said. They acted on their selfishness. They acted on their pride. They rejected Jesus' authority and they rebelled against God and crucified Jesus. And though we weren't there that day, our sins killed Jesus just as much as theirs did. We act in selfishness and pride. We live for ourselves. We want to rule our own lives. We don't want to submit to the authority of God or the rule of anyone else, for that matter. So we reject God's rules. We don't believe what he says about himself or about us. We rebel from his ways and we do what we want. And this places us in condemnation. But though Jesus was killed, we are also reminded that Jesus isn't dead. Jesus isn't dead. He was raised, whom God raised up. The spirit is a testimony that Jesus isn't dead. Why has the Spirit come? Because Jesus isn't in the grave. He's in heaven. And he fulfilled the Father's promise to send the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit is the promise that Jesus is going to do everything he said he would do. The coming of the Spirit is the promise that Jesus is not in the grave. Jesus is above. He rules In heaven. Psalm 68, which he quotes, is a messianic prophecy, and Peter is helping them see that the bigger picture is not just about David. So it says, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made me to know the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. He is showing them this Psalm, this Psalm 68, which is attributed to David and speaks of David, is about more than David. It excels higher than David. It's about Jesus. He goes on and says, we know David's tomb. And it was, very, it was very well known at the time. In fact, it had been raided twice in recent years before this had happened. It says, you know David's tomb. It's there in Jerusalem. You've seen it and you know it's not empty. David's in that tomb. But Jesus isn't in his tomb. This isn't about David. This is about greater than David. The Spirit hasn't come for any other reason than that Jesus is not dead. He is in heaven. The Father and the Spirit raised him from the dead. But he doesn't just say that God raised him. He goes further than that in these verses. And he says in verse 24, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Death could not hold him. It was impossible for Jesus to remain in the grave. He's not in the grave because the grave couldn't hold him in the grave. This is our great message. This is the message of the gospel, that Christ died, was buried, and rose again three days later and is now ascended on high. If Christ is not risen, then we are of all men most miserable, but Christ is, is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. Verse 28, at the end of this prophet, says, you have made known to me the ways of life. He knows the way of life. He's opened the way of life and he leads us into the way of life. He continues on saying, you will make me full of joy in your presence Hebrews reminds us in, in chapter 12 that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He knew the joy. He knew what was coming, that God would be glorified, that people would be brought to salvation. And so, like David, we cry, "O oh, death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? It's been crushed. Crushed. Jesus is risen. But it's more than that. You see, the resurrection of Christ is so much more than that. And Peter's last point is this Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is exalted. Verse 33 it says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. You see, it says now we've come back full circle. He says he died, but he rose again and he ascended and he rules. And now that he sits and he rules, he is doing what you see right now. This is all about Jesus. Jesus. Everything comes back to our risen, ascended Lord. Jesus is everything. He is our message. He is our life. He is ascended. He isn't risen to die again. He is risen and ascended to power and authority. Having ascended in power... He sent the Spirit in power to empower us, his people, to proclaim the gospel. What they saw that day was the results of Christ rising. What we know and what we experience today with the presence of the Holy Spirit within every believer is a result of the risen Christ. Christ promised it's better that he left so that he could send the Spirit in power. God is keeping his promise. To send the Spirit was his eternal plan. It was always his plan to send the Spirit to proclaim the gospel of Christ through the people of God. He is exalted. And because he is exalted, we read in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly That God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ means promised one, Messiah. But it's bound up in this whole idea of king. He is Lord and he is king. But he reminds us, he says, no for sure. This is the truth. This is certainty. This is absolute certainty. Christ died, was buried, rose again, and ascended, and sent the Spirit. That is fact. Believer, know it. Be assured of it. The Spirit is here because Christ is in heaven. God kept his promise. He's saved. He's empowered so that we can proclaim the gospel and be kept until the day of Jesus Christ if he is ascended, and if he is indeed Lord and King, we don't get to decide who Jesus is. We don't get to decide if he is worthy of worship or if we should worship him. Our choice on Jesus is this only. Either we believe him and we submit or we continue in our rebellion. That is the only choice Jesus gives us. We don't get to decide if he is, in fact, Lord. We don't get to decide if he is, in fact, King. Those are finished conclusions. He is Lord. He is King. Our only choice is, do I believe him or reject him? That's what it all boils down to. Jesus is Lord and that demands our submission. So he finishes, at least as much as we see in his sermon, with these words in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is the Spirit is already doing his work. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now that we know this, this is where every gospel presentation goes. Now that we know that Jesus died for our sins, that he was resurrected to life, and that he has ascended to heaven to rule and reign as Lord of all, what do we do with that? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Repent. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The people understood what Peter meant. They understood that if what Peter says is true, something needs to be done. Something must change. They heard the spirit empowered truth and they knew he was right. They knew this was a message that demanded a response. And the same is true today. The message of the gospel demands a response. And ignoring it is a response. If Jesus is God, has died, resurrected and ascended, if he did all of this to save us from our sins, what do I need to do? Repent. Turn from my own way. Believe the truth of Jesus and give my life to follow him. Believe that by trusting him, he will forgive my sins. Be baptized. Why put baptism in here? Because we know from the rest of scripture and everything that it says that baptism does not save us. But it goes hand in hand with this idea of Jesus being Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then I'm going to do what he says. And baptism is the first thing he asked me to do after I repent. It shows I obey. It shows that he is my Lord. It shows that I'm willing to follow. It is a public testimony that I believe Jesus. The result of trusting Jesus for salvation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to everyone who believes and abides with you forever. Empowers you and enables you to follow Jesus. Fills you with his power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is the promise of God that he will keep you to the very end. God saves, Paul has reminded us, or Peter has reminded us twice in this sermon, God saves anyone and everyone who calls on his name, who seeks him for salvation. And the Spirit is given to each and everyone who believes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have had just moments to listen to the words of one of the most powerful sermons in all of history. We can barely do it justice in the 30 or 40 minutes we have here this morning. But dear God, we pray that you would take that truth and plant it in our hearts and, and deeply move us to understand it. Lord, that we would be reminded that Indeed, you are Lord and you demand our obedience and our submission to follow you and to bring you glory in all things, knowing that you have sent the spirit to enable us to do that. So we pray that we would be powerful followers of you who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with great urgency and strength. I pray too, dear God, that if there are some here who have yet to see you and to believe you as Savior and Lord, today their eyes would be opened. Cause them to see your loving kindness. Cause them to see the way of life. That they might know the truth and know your eternal security. Thank you, and we praise you for these things. In the name of Jesus, our living and glorious Savior. Amen.